Welcome to Paradigm Shifters. Paradigm Shifters is a uh, radio show, but also podcast that introduces you and shares with the world some people that are making a difference on the planet. And today, my difference maker is Anne Crawford, who's an author of five books or seven books. I can't remember which. Five. Five books, and also has got a um, an award-winning film under her belt, right? With plans to do more. But you have this new book called Life in the Hollywood Lane, and that's a synonym or a metaphor for fast lane. I know that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's its own lane, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and Hollywood is your favorite place to live, is it not? One of them, yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I was reading this book, which is really, um, I mean, it's a light-hearted book, but it's not. It's a light-hearted book that takes you into some very deep kinds of places, right? And it's about yes. a suicide. In a way, it's about a young woman who's uh, becoming an actor, she hopes, and is dealing with all the physical appearance stuff about that. But also you go through this incredible, deep, transformative way of responding to your roommate's suicide. So I want to talk to you about, which is really interesting to me, I want to talk to you about suicide these days because it's a big subject, isn't it? It's in the news. It is. It what, is. What do you think? What prompted you to write about suicide? Well, I worked as a talent manager for a bit, and one of my actors committed suicide. And about a year later, this story came to me, and I wanted to write her story as told through her best friend, Trish, and not have it end as a tragedy, but have her be the shero of her own story, no matter how her journey ended. Mm -hmm. So... That's how it started, and then Trish just took over my life for a while, much to my joy. <laughs> <laughs> so you lived all kinds of aspects of her, huh? I did. I there were some really did. wonderful places of uh, of expressing, what would you call it? Grief is kind of the digestion of tremendous loss like this, is it not? So the expressions yeah. that she used of grief are really intense. Like the time she gets apart, she has such a struggle with being in that kind of coma people go into over grief, right? But when right. you took that job, or she, I call it you, but anyway, when Trish took that job in the Philippines, uh, being involved with the son that had died, right? Right, right. Then tell people what happens when she's coming back, because I thought that was just a precious release of the intense complexity of feelings that comprise grief. Well, through the book, she's riding the roller coaster of grief. And in this particular moment, she's flying back and she drifts off to sleep. And she wakes up thinking about coming home to her beautiful home, her favorite city in the world. And then her heart just panics because she realizes her best friend in the world is not there anymore and she says to herself please don't let me scream on this plane please don't let me scream on this plane I mean anybody who's been through grief knows that that's a very real moment 
and she rides it through. She's an actor, so she's taken lots of acting classes with breathing lessons, and she just calms the feeling down and comes back to L.A. and back to her life. But the feeling I had was that the intensity of that desire to scream was a lot of the grief trying to finally come out in a way that yeah. was productive. Did you feel that? Yeah, and she does scream from time to time. I think screaming is great for us. Yeah. We don't have to take it all in. <laughs> I think that's the, really true. Mm-hmm. The car wash is a great place to scream. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I'm thinking about a time when I had been recently widowed, and it was Christmas time, and all the, I went to buy some Christmas presents in a big store, uh, department store and people were fighting over sweaters that were on sale and I literally started screaming I, wow. I, yeah I said Mark is dead and you're fighting over sweaters I can't believe it that's what I was screaming wow. which tells wow. you something about you could say that's insane but to me in retrospect and knowing an awful lot of people now as I get older that tells of a depth of trying to make a what a cohesive situation out of something that's still a ripping, tearing loss in our own identity, right. eh? Right. Mm-hmm. And it is true. I mean, we fight over the craziest, stupidest things. A friend, another friend of mine is recently widowed, and her Facebook posts always bring me back to gratitude. She posts at least every couple of days about how much her heart is hurting and everything, and it I mean, we get so lost about stupid things like the traffic or the store not having the item we wanted, and people are dying. But like you said, it's also a humorous book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's lighthearted. I mean, she's crazy and silly and fun and playful, and it is a and it's also a rom- romantic comedy, a love story because. If I write it, of course, it's going to be that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the way Trish goes through all these different ways of being an actor. Uh, you get all these crazy auditions and you have to perform roles and some of the most insane roles. Talk about that a little bit. It was fun. Oh, well, she she's a redhead, but she can also color her hair brown or blonde and blend into the crowd a lot. So she can be the crazy, angry woman behind a lynching or the crazy, angry woman in a, at a witch burning or a meth addict or psych ward patient. She can just run the whole gamut. And she runs around L.A. in her workout gear, but getting dressed for an audition is so easy because she can dress like a teacher, dress like a best friend, dress however she needs to. Like a prostitute, um, like a nun. <laughs> and she has a great great sense of humor, eh? Yeah. And why yeah, is she, she doing all this? Well, it's her calling. She really, she grew up there in Wisconsin, um, you know, like so many people. She had a sad, lonely childhood. Her younger brother died, and that was her introduction to grief. And, of course, when um, Cindy dies, it brings up all that unresolved grief, too. Um, so she withdrew to books and movies, and she's also very smart. And she 
it was just her passion. She wanted to do this. So, and she was so horribly unattractive when she was a kid. And then in her late teens, she started to blossom. She became so beautiful that she said even her mother was ready to send her to Hollywood. And she did. (laughs) Oh, she did send her to Hollywood. Great. (laughs) Now, her mother had uh, terrible grief after losing her child, did she not? Right, Mm -hmm. right. And then she had another reaction to Cindy dying as well, um, her daughter's best friend committing suicide. Um, but that that's, I don't want to spoil the end. And no, don't. But let's talk about Kate Spade, or let's talk about uh, Anthony Bourdain. What do you, how do you um, respond to that kind of information? Do you respond in a way that says they've just made a choice and it's okay? Or how do you feel? I do think they made a choice and it's okay that no matter what we do, it's, it's a choice and it's okay. But then we don't know if there's mental illness there. I mean, apparently Kate Spade had some mental illness. I'm not sure if it was bipolar or what, what she had. Um, but that plays into it too. And I mean, you look at these lives, these perfect lives not only of those two, but also of the woman that the book is kind of based on. Cindy is not that woman. I made Cindy up. She's completely a fictional character. But the woman who did kill herself a few years ago, which was the inspiration for this book, she was beautiful, talented, funny, gorgeous, just looked like she was living life in the wonderful lane. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's going on. Another thing I read recently is a lot of people say that committing suicide is a selfish act. But really, the people who do commit suicide often are thinking that they're a burden and they'd be relieving their loved ones of this burden. And we don't know how much mental illness plays into that. So the thing is, what you're saying is we just don't know what's going on inside of anyone, really, right? Right, right. My understanding about some of it is when people say it's selfish, I go, we don't know what kind of a deep, dark place somebody gets into, maybe only for a little while. Right, right. It's a very interesting kind of thing. But let's go back into talking about being a uh, star. Is it called starlet? Somebody who keeps going into acting. Let's talk about that. I love the way you break down uh, what's required. Why don't you talk about what's required as a good actor? Well, Trish had a Wisconsin accent, so she had to take elocution lessons when she got to Hollywood to shorten her long days from Wisconsin. (laughs) I have family there, so I spent a lot of time there. (laughs) You know, when I was in Pennsylvania, I was studying radio, and I had to do elocution lessons that made me say, how now, brown cow. But having had elocution lessons as a little kid in Vancouver, BC, I laughed. I thought, wow, I could be in big doo-doo if my teacher could hear me now, right? It was hilarious. (laughs) So you got to fit right. into the vernacular or the accent of the place, right? Right, right. So in addition to elocution lessons and workouts and acting classes and improv classes and 
everything kind of classes. She did everything over and over and over again. She just devoted her life to it. But she loved it, didn't she? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But, but I she, also like the whole conversation about, um, and I've heard this a lot from people, oh, actors just can't really live a life because they're busy being something else. I find that an interesting yeah. discussion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I bring that up a lot. Actors have to draw on this deep well of emotions because if they don't believe the emotion they're feeling, then their audience won't believe it either. Right. So they have to be real and those emotions have to come from a real place. So they have so to actors, really understand a lot of people, right? Right, right. So that gives us a lot more faith in them and so on. How, right, right. So back, let's uh, talk about Trish again. She really went through a huge amount of retrospective when Cindy died, but it's really interesting because it's even though it's after Cindy died it's a lot about getting to know Cindy isn't it yeah yeah she comes back over and over through the book as Trish is journeying and she'll tell little vignettes that have a relevance to everything in her life like the store the cafe everything there's a story about Cindy there so she's very much alive through the book mm -hmm. And people don't really die, do they? No. <laughs> but she no. doesn't seem to come back as a ghost as much as an awareness in the mind of Trish. Right, mm -hmm. right. And, uh, and would Trish have been an actor if it weren't for her relationship with Cindy? Oh, yeah. She went to L.A. to be an actor. Mm -hmm. And she met Cindy in one of her first auditions. Um, and it was strange for her to be in a room full of people who looked just like her. <laughs> and that was because she had they a caref carefully prepared look, right? Yeah. Well, and a redhead, they obviously for that commercial, they were looking for a redhead and Cindy and Trish are both redheads. So. Ah, isn't that wonderful? Not my a lot of my actors, when I was a talent manager, were redheads, like an inordinate number of redheads. <laughs> well, that's interesting because my stepdaughter, who's an actor in L.A., is a redhead. And she's always going out for parts and so on. Yeah. One thing Trish gets into, Trish eats really well. And she mentions that Cindy ate junk. And then she'd exercise a lot. Most cows are fed garbage, literally. So Cindy was, as many, many others were and are, eating garbage, literally. So Trish goes through the different things. It wasn't just alcohol and it wasn't just pills, but it was the way Cindy ate and her mental state that could have all added up to this perfect storm of her killing herself. She had just been dumped. Some, somebody thought she was a real movie star and when they found out that she wasn't, um, that she was really the star of a few of a bunch of commercials, he dumped her. So that had just happened. Plus, she was about to turn 40, <laughs> which in L.A., in Hollywood, is, I mean, that's the death of your career if you haven't made it by then. So <clears throat> that was a big deal to her, too. Mm -hmm. 
But it reminds me of the story of Peg Entwistle, who oh, yeah. worked and worked as a um, as a starlet. But do you want to finish that story? Well, that came up. It comes up in the story when Trish is talking how Cindy has a penchant for the the macabre. And like Trish would be gushing about the Hollywood sign, and Cindy said, "Yeah, too bad Peg Entwistle jumped from the H in 1934." <laughs> <laughs> and she did it the day before she was getting a great big opportunity, so she never knew that. Isn't right, that interesting? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and Janis Joplin died the night before her love was going to come back or was asking her to come join him. Wow. Isn't that interesting? That's one of the things about suicide that is recorded so often is that often is untimely because waiting a little bit of time, right? Right. Right. Interesting. When I was trying to reach my actor who committed suicide, I, I had an audition for her. So I was emailing her without knowing she had died yet. Um, That was strange. And who knows if that audition would have been her turning point. So that's the same kind of story, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And do you have Mm -hmm. any idea why she chose to do that? I didn't know her very well. So I I didn't. Um, I did just about a month before the book went up. I got in touch with the best friend who in my book would be Trish, who Trish is based on. I got in touch with the best friend of the woman who had committed suicide. And I was very nervous about that conversation, but it turned out to be really wonderful. She was happy to hear about the story and how I really kept her alive. I mean, she's living on in this story and you took a lot of the character traits from the woman that you knew no no I didn't but no I I don't know like in my book Cindy drank and um, was promiscuous and took pills I don't know if the woman I'm basing it on did that at all you didn't know her as well so it's a completely fictionalized version of what happened (laughs) I love and that. And Trish is nothing like like the best friends in real life. <laughs> They're very different. Uh, but she was a real uh, Trish was a real explorer too, wasn't she? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. She doesn't seem to have. Uh, she's having fun with all her improv and her uh, uh, breathing exercises and her gym stuff and. I love that she runs around in high-end or fashionable gym clothes. (laughs) (laughs) She does have to keep up her image, she jokes, even if it's just to herself. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say funny, but, you know, having lived down there for a little bit, I realize that you're always conscious of your appearance. Everybody is, right? It seems. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Let's see. And the funeral, the funeral thing was really interesting. Now, is that a typical Hollywood kind of funeral experience? No. And I have heard of other, she, Cindy had a standing ovation. Um, and I've heard of other funerals having that as well. I just wondered so, if it was a Hollywood tradition. So you're saying it's not really. 
No, no, it's not. Not that I know of. I've been to other Hollywood funerals, and one of my dear friends was a worked for Pixar, and he died, and he didn't have a standing ovation, although he certainly deserved one. Hmm. Why did he pass? How did he die? Mm-hmm. Um, he was a mentor to young men, and he was driving a group up to a retreat, and his car went off the cliff. Oh, it was an accident, huh? Oh, it was just terrible. He was this big, lovable bear of a guy. If you um, watch the movie Cars, he worked on that as well. And at the end of it, it's um, it, it's dedicated to him. His name was Joe Ranst. Ranst. R-A-N-T. R-A-N-T-V? R-A-N-S-T, Ranst. Okay. But it's a, it is hard to say. I was thinking about James Dean. It's way before your time, but he was such a hero. <laughs> but yeah. He, yeah, he went off wildly driving, right? And, yeah. Um, and the fellow who was Joan Baez's brother-in-law, who I don't remember his name now, but he wrote, been down so long, it looks like up to me. And he killed himself in a car accident on the way home from his very successful publishing celebration. The mm-hmm. book was outrageously great, and he made it. He didn't make it home after, which is kind of an interesting oh. thing. It's a celebration in another way, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So sort of life in Hollywood can be uh, extremely dramatic on all levels of a person's life. Absolutely. And we talk about the red carpet and how that is on having a movie premiere and how beautiful that is and all the fun stuff and all the not so fun stuff, all the rejection, all the not insults, but casting directors can be pretty hardcore you're too heavy, you're too thin, you're too tall, you're too short. You know, they have to handle so much rejection. And I say over and over again, or Trish says over and over again, that actors are such tender creatures. Mm -hmm. So they have to withstand this rejection all the time. And then... I marvel about that because most of us have a heck of a time with rejection, right? Yeah. And another thing a bunch of us have a heck of a time with is the adulation. A lot of people can't handle, you know, if their um, if their self worth inside isn't up to snuff, this constant adulation and fawning over them can be crazy making. Mm-hmm. So I understand how people kill themselves, like Judy Garland or Marilyn. Maybe she might have been done in by the mob. We don't know, but um, so many people. It's really interesting. Yeah, because it's like who you are. You know, you're speaking all the way through this novel, which is really intriguing. You speak all the way through about the sensitivity that you have to be really sensitive to empower your relationship to the character you're presenting, right? Right. Right. So that sensitivity is what gives the gift to most performances. 
Right. And has, right. To, has to be furthered all along, doesn't it? People have to further that uh, awakening all along. So it is a process. I mean, you're very spiritual. So am I. It's a process of awakening in many ways, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. To Absolutely. become one with all people, to become one with life, you know? Right. And to get the wherewithal to withstand the adulation without letting it go to your head or letting it kill you because there's such a disconnect. It is a process. It's a growth. Um, it's a maturity that comes along for some people. It did for Trish. But it has to be a, a, like a humility too, a recognition of self and who self really is. Right, right. So um, in terms of why people become actors, I think it's a spiritual calling, frankly. I'm still going back oh, to that. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a calling like anything, like being a writer. I could not not write. I right. have to write. Mm -hmm. I've tried not writing. It doesn't work. <laughs> These characters come knocking on my shower door. and <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Also, I want to talk. Pardon me? They show up in the car as I'm driving, like, oh, no, you're writing my story. Don't even think of not writing my story. <laughs> That's great. So your film, the film that you uh, won an award for is uh, is about Vietnam, right? What was yeah, that? Like That's a little different. Filmmaking is a little different. Hmm? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, you know, I keep thinking over and over again how nothing in my life could have been different for this book, all the things I've taken, all the filmmaking classes, the movies I made, the travels I did, all the fellas I dated, although not as many as Trish. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it all worked out to come together in this book that's such a huge conglomeration. But back to your question about the Vietnam movie. I went to Vietnam with a group of vets and filmed them going back to where they'd been stationed and doing humanitarian work. And, oh, my God, doing that was one of the highest honors of my life. Being with these guys as they released 20, it was 20 back then, 20 years of guilt and shame for the things they'd been involved with oh, and the stories they told, it was such an honor to be to make that movie. How did and you did get involved? And it did win a very prestigious award. Um, I got involved. I used to do a lot of work with Amnesty International. And I was involved in the anti-death penalty movement for China. Um, and I ended up calling the Vietnam Veterans Restoration Project to see if they could help with us. And they couldn't, but I got fascinated by what they were up to. And I signed up to go on one of the trips to Vietnam. And I had been there actually once before. I love Vietnam. The people are so beautiful. And why had you been there and before? Just on a tour? Traveling, yeah. It was before the embargo was lifted. And our tour guide said, could you please talk to President Bush and have him lift the embargo? And I jokingly said, I'll see what I can do. And right after that, the embargo was lifted. <laughs> <laughs> so you connected right. in there, yeah. <laughs> wow. So. 
So back to, uh, so from that time, then you went in to do this movie and it, it was the movie funded by like government or? No, no, I, it was self-funded. I asked for a lot of donations it, and it wasn't very expensive to do. So. And who did you, I interrupted you when you talked about winning an award for it. What, what was the award? It was the gold award from the National Educational Media Network. So oh. it won a top award for educational documentaries. Oh, and it was to make peace or to heal some of the rifts between veterans and uh, Vietnamese? Well, the Vietnamese had already forgiven everything. Somebody once joked that, Oh, the Chinese were here for a thousand years. The French were here for a hundred years. You Americans were a drop in the bucket. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> but the vets, I mean, it was such a crazy war to be involved with. So, Well, did you, did you learn a lot about Vietnam and a lot about the war from the vets? Or yeah. How did, yeah. You, how did you process out, for example, um, so many of them had a lot of death around them, kind of like the suicidal story of your friend in the book. And uh, they went through right. a heck of a lot. And they went through an awful lot of grief, didn't they? Yes, they did. They were involved in horrible things. And when we would go back to the town that they had been fighting in, often the whole town would come out to greet us. And they would find a soldier who had been fighting on the other side, and they they would hug and shake hands, and oh, it was so beautiful. Wow, how touching. Well, oh. one of the vets, when he went home, his brother had been killed in Vietnam, and when he got home, his father said to him, should have been you, hmm. the one who died. I mean, just awful things. Wow. And the whole country spit upon them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really awful, wasn't it? Yeah, it was just terrible. But like I said, they went back and they healed their wounds of war and beautiful things that happened as a result of going back. And I was so grateful to be a part of it. That's wonderful. I had a friend who used to lead um, tours over there to take landmines out of the out of the earth. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a beautiful... Yeah, she, she ran tours to do that, you know. But mm. That was also uh, kind of a retribution, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the humanitarian work that they did was to build a, a clinic for amputees. Hmm. People are still stepping on landmines over there. Wow. Yeah. What a thing. So uh, are we able to see this movie? Is it still available or is it um, in the archives now? You can see it on YouTube. <laughs> if you go to my website, which is annecrawford.net, it's up on YouTube. Okay. And but you I have to say, this is long before digital cameras came about. <laughs> and are you going to do more movies? Will you turn this one into a movie? This looks like it would be a great uh, oh. series, actually. <laughs> Yeah, this would be a great movie. Mm -hmm. And so would all my other books. <laughs> I 
Um, but I have two more books in me I want to write, so I'm going to keep writing books, and eventually the movies will catch up with me. <laughs> well, your characters are very rich, so talk about Skye. Well, who is Skye in this book? She's an older woman. Well, yeah, she's a client, and a lot of you come you come into my characters. Yay! My, Older women who are flamboyant and happy with themselves and just delighted with life. That's you showing up in my book. And actually, one of the next two books is going to be dedicated to you because you're one of the characters. Oh, boy. Make me a hero, okay? Make me a hero. <laughs> oh, she's such a hero. <laughs> I feel honored. But talk about her and also Kara. Those are two characters that have a lot of personality. Yeah, Kara is um trish's talent agent and she's strong and wonderful and loving and she never had children so all her actors are her children and that's definitely based on someone i know but a fictionalized version of her too I really enjoy the way she's got this kind of theatrical um opulence about how she handles people She's kind mm -hmm. of uh, always, to me anyway, tossing around a certain kind of charm and affection. It's like she's a bestower of. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. She's a real character. Yes. To me, she's a real character of the Hollywood nature, I would say. Mother yeah. Motherly yeah. in a different way. Not in, yeah. The, yeah, not yeah. in the Joan Crawford way, but you know. <laughs> no. <laughs> And is that, did you identify with Trish all the way through? Oh, sure. <laughs> Tell me this. As a writer, uh, do you identify with most of your characters all the way through? Oh, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. They say that all the characters in a book are an aspect of the author. So that, that would be true in all my books. That's really interesting. It'd be hard to kind of separate one from the other. Right, right. And how do you see, you mention in the book or the way you've written it, you say that it has a huge impact, movies and visual uh, influences have a great impact on the world. They do, don't they? Oh, oh they do. They affect policy. They, they are... They foment change. I mean, they are powerful. In the days of old, the traveling troubadours would come through with the stories about the king or, or you know, Mother Goose was all these real, it was based on all these real people like Mary Mary, quite contrary, was Mary Queen of Scots. So they, those were the time, in the times of old, they were the stories and they were based on truth and they would... Um, foster change and nowadays I mean to go in movies are full sensory experiences and people walk out of a movie changed mm -hmm. oftentimes better hopefully more often change for the better yeah I find that really mesmerizing because we're taught so much when we do our spiritual work these days to truly embody the feelings of what it is you're wanting to create and I know movies right. have been, but then we've got so much viciousness in them these days as well, or sensational right. murders and so on. And I wonder about that having an impact on humanity. You just got to up the yeah. ante on the transformative stuff probably, huh? 
Yeah, and all these school shootings. I mean, I think the kids have just become numb. I mean, with these video games, they're shooting and killing and doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And what's the difference between that and doing it in real life? I think for some of them. They're living into oh. it. Because yeah. one, one of the one yeah. of the signs of a great book, for example, is living into the story, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's mm-hmm. something that's yeah. a big concern. How do you see it all going out there? Where do you think films are going to go? Well, the whole Me Too and um, Enough is Enough, that, that whole movement. I heard on NPR yesterday that... Um, there's a new quality checklist. I think it was started by Sundance of having a certain number of female actors, producers, directors, crew members on each movie. And each movie is going to be graded on this. I think that's wonderful. But with that movement, and, and I do give a tribute um, to the Weinstein accusers. Good. They deserve it. Oh, my goodness, do they ever deserve it. Trish is talking about how she had Uma Thurman on a pedestal, thinking that she her life was so pulled together. And then when all this came down, she actually put Uma on a higher pedestal for having such a wonderful life and having gone through all the stuff. So Uma Thurman was, was abused as well, was she? I didn't know that part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she... Quentin Tarantino directed her in Kill Bill, and she was injured. She had told them that she wanted a a stand-in to do something, and they made her do it, and she's still injured from it. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. So there was no defense, no protection of women in those days, but there is now, isn't there? Right. Mm-hmm. It's coming about. But I wonder if that'll it's, change the uh, the whole scripting of movies so that they'll include empowering one another instead of always using uh, subterfuge to keep people in line. There's so many right. stories are about keeping people down, aren't they? Yes, you're right. I'm sending this book to a bunch of actors like Drew Barrymore and Kate Hudson and Reese Witherspoon strong women, strong, powerful women who could take it and run with it. And the other, my other books have strong female characters too. So maybe it's just been a matter of time. Yeah, one of your books is about the burning days, isn't it? Yeah, the burning times. It's about a healer during the witch hunts. And she's a powerful character. And she's definitely, you know, as we we're talking that they're all reflections of the author. She's definitely a reflection of me. Is she um, turning the tables? or She did not turn the tables per se. It wasn't the end of the burning times in Scotland with her death, but it was the last time that particular witch hunter went after anybody she went out forgiving him and just being a woman completely in her power knowing who she is and sometimes as with Jesus when you die you have an even more powerful impact for good mm-hmm. and so she went out knowing that and the name of that book is the spellbinder is it 
Spellweaver. Spellweaver. And and you said right. witch hunters. So in those days, there were witch hunters specifically, like bounty hunters. Wow. Yeah. They that, came in the name of the church. And that lasted a couple of hundred years, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Many women were birthed. Not just women, but mostly women. Yeah. Yeah. Did you channel that? Did you channel that story? It's hard to know. It's hard to know if if you've channeled it or if your imagination is quite similar. Well, I remember that lifetime, and my sister. It's a book about. It's a story about two sisters, and my sister and I were driving through Kansas one day, and I was telling her. She actually she was telling me a. About a life she remembered in Scotland during the burning times. And I pulled over to the side of the road and I said, I'm writing that story from the other sister's point of view. So we both remembered it. We got tears in our eyes. We cried. Wow. So she was in that with you. Yeah. Yeah. She was her younger sister. Wow. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Have you, did you get the whole story from your memory? Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. I was traveling through Scotland back in um, 1999, and that's when the story first came to me. I was looking at the hills, and I was remembering them, and wow. that's when I knew I'd been there before. So are, are you Scottish? Yeah, Crawford's a Scottish name. Mm -hmm. More Irish, though, because I'm Irish from both my mom and my dad. Well, they have their version of all that, too, don't they? The burnings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The religious uh, factor. It's interesting that you're uh, into a spiritual explorations and a spiritual embodiment. It's a much higher level, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So you're kind of the embodiment of the growth. The Me Too growth. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> so what's next for you? This is a wonderful book. What's next for you? Well, like I said, I have two books that are, I've never written two at the same time, but they're both coming fast and furious. I drove, I did a long road trip this past weekend, and I wrote half of one in my head, just coming and going to the retreat. Um, and like I said, one of them is, a, it features you. It's a story about three generations of women this feisty ex-flower child hippie grandmother, that's you, <laughs> and a transgender granddaughter and a woman in her 50s who drives a Buick and voted for Trump. So that should be interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's just coming into your head. This is great. Yeah. And do you once, you, once you perceive them like that, do you remember them? Or you have uh, to capture them? I capture them. This one's completely made up, um, and so is the other one. The other one's about a walk-in who ends up on a in a farming community in Kansas. Really? <laughs> so that's the one I wrote, wrote in my head as I was driving across Kansas last weekend. <laughs> she ends up in a farming community in Kansas. The mind boggles, eh? <laughs> yes. And she's and a walk-in. Now, tell me, where do the walk-ins come from? Does it, it? You never know. It's like from different time, right. different I space, different, uh, different, 
different star systems. They could be from all over. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. So we don't even know what the parameters are in that person's perception. Right. I wonder, right. I'm just thinking out loud here. I'm wondering if walk-ins know that they're really different and they don't fit in a, in a bunch of ways. They must be there for a purpose, right? Right, right. That's an interesting thing. Well, we're almost coming to an end. Do you have anything about uh, this particular book that you want to share with people? And the book is called Life in the Hollywood Lane, a novel by Anne Crawford, one of many. (laughs) Well, it's gotten two five-star editorial reviews so far. Um, One is a very high-caliber one, reader's favorite, And it says, compelling and universal in so many ways, most highly recommended. And another one says, a lightly written and often fascinating insight into the crazy world of Hollywood. I always try to suggest who I think will most enjoy a book. With this novel, it's going to be a very long list. And that's from The Wishing Shelf. Oh, good. That's wonderful. So it's a bit of a downer subject, but I didn't write it to be a downer. It's, I don't think I of it, it as a downer subject. I think it's a glimpse, and a big glimpse into the heart and soul of people living in that thing. I, I don't think of it as a downer. Well, and I wrote it to be inspirational and uplifting. So well, also I'm glad the, you don't. <laughs> I'm not going to say what it is, but the ending of it makes a lot of sense of things like suicide and a personal journey and the subjectivity of one's own journey. I loved that part. I mm-hmm. felt it was really, um, it was deepening. It's, a, it's an opening to an understanding, which has been the process Trish has been through, through the whole book. Right, right. You no, know, giving it all respect and credibility. Well, thank you, Anne Crawford. It's been a delight to speak with you about life in the Hollywood Lane. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you anyway. So we'll look up your... I'd love love to see... (laughs) We'll talk again, but I love your film idea too. I keep thinking I must track that down. I'll get onto the YouTube and at least some of it. Because I'm uh, a 60s person, an old 60s radical. And the Vietnam right. vet situation is very important uh, in my history and memory and so on. It's nice to know there are resolutions in deep grief and deep pain, which is partially what your book's yeah. about. And to me, that's not yeah. terribly tragic stuff. It's life. It's life and putting some really deep emotional texture into it. Thank you for your good work. Thank you for Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank Ma- you. Many blessings.